to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. All right, people, we have with us somebody that, um, man, I've been following since I was a very young guitar player and somebody that I was always just like mind-blowingly in awe of. And I'm and I'm so so happy and thrilled and honored to have Mr. Arlen Roth on Guitar Radio Show. How are you, Arlen? I'm good. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for having me, and uh, it's great to be a part of this uh, thing. You're doing a good good job of it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And coming from you, that means a lot. Um, sure, thanks. You, you know, uh, folks, you can go to ArlenRoth.com. Check out this website. There's a lot going on there, a lot of information, really There's cool stuff. There's a lot stuff. going on. A, a little bit, some of this is still a little bit outdated because I'm having somebody update my website. Cool. So it was kind of put together in a way that I was having a hard time getting into it yeah. and changing it. So unfortunately, in terms of new announcements on there, it's a little bit past, you know, it's like a little bit, maybe about four albums old. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I mean, because I'm always on things like Facebook and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, so, sure. but, but, but yeah, the website does have a lot of stuff, but there will be updates to it. Cool. Um, I, like I was telling you off mic, um, you know, I, I've, I've been with you since uh, the Hot Licks videotapes, video cassettes, yep. and I was addicted, absolutely couldn't wait every month for your uh, guitar player column which was called hot guitar it uh yeah. it, it it left me always wanting more <laughs> all right well I'm, well that's great news i mean i loved hot guitar was great because it uh it coincided with me really launching the whole hot licks thing so it became like a full page advertisement for me mm-hmm. every month you know, yeah, sure. uh, and of course I was always, you know, I had been in Guitar Player. There had already been some big articles on me, and I had been advertising Hot Licks. And you know, my first, the first big article on me in Guitar Player, I think, was seventy six or seventy five, and it was written by Happy Traum. Oh wow! And and then Guitar Player actually had me write some articles for them too. Like there was a piece on Blaine Allman and a couple of other things. And what happened was it all happened very innocently. I started writing a column for Guitar World when Guitar World was a very new uh, magazine. And I even had a column for Circus Magazine, which mm-hmm. was a, 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 you know, like a, you know, a teeny bopper, you know, pop type magazine. Yeah. Uh, and I said, why don't you guys have me do a column? And, uh, I said, sure, you know, so I was doing those two. The minute I was doing those two columns, Tom Wheeler, Player Magazine, called me and he said, listen, we want you to write for Guitar Player, but we want you to be exclusive Guitar Player. And that was precisely what I wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I signed on to those other two when Guitar Player was not responding to me. They were saying, well, you know, we're not so sure, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, well, I'll go to the next, the other magazines. And uh, I needed the income. You know, even if it was 125 a month, 200 a month, whatever it was, I needed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, and I was teaching a lot privately. And I was, uh, at that time, I had already been on the road a long time, probably about 
12 to 15 years of touring and uh, all of a sudden around 79 things slowed down after the Phoebe Snow tour and that was when me and I, I already knew years before that I was going to do something like Hot Licks but uh, it was in 79 when I decided to finally launch it you know and that was just audio tapes at that point audio lessons right I remember that <clears throat> yeah the cassettes yeah uh, by the end of me doing the cassettes which they intertwined with the videos um, because the videos started in 84 uh, I was the first one apparently to actually do this kind of thing on video and I remember the first ones besides me it was John Entwistle from The Who I remember that yeah Yep, and John, who was a great guy, fabulous guy, and I played with him on the video. Uh, John had already done a couple of audio tapes for me as well from his his studio in England. So um, I, um, you know, I, I needed to to feel that there were enough uh, VHS machines in America to justify coming out with VHS tapes, you know. But I always knew that I was going to do it, you know. Right. That, that was the main thing. So. Right, right. Yeah, it was great. It was, I used to sign, you know, I would, first of all, it was easy to start off with my own stuff, obviously, because I could really bang them out. Uh, you know, some of those early tapes, you hear the car horns honking in the background. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I was two blocks from the World Trade Center. I lived in a loft, a New York City loft, right beneath the World Trade Center, and that's where I was recording those tapes. I mean, when the, the ad came out in Guitar Player, which uh, was 48 lessons. I started the first day, I had 48 different lessons. So I understood that repeat customers were an important thing. Uh, I was still recording those lessons when I was trying to get orders. You wow. know, it was like, because I put it in the February issue, but I didn't realize the February issue meant it would be reaching my doorstep on December. You wow. know, in December. So it was kind of crazy. And people would be in my house. I had come home one day and, Dave Edmonds was there with his guitar player Mickey G. They're like, we're sorry, we thought this was 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 a store. We came to America, we wanted to see Hot Licks and Arlen Roth. We didn't realize that we'd be in your living room. They're like carrying up boxes, boxes from. Um, in fact, I had just come back from teaching Paul Simon. I was giving Paul Simon lessons up on Fifty Second Street in the Brill Building. And I come home and I'm like, who are these guys in the living room with my wife or wife-to-be? We weren't even married yet. And they're carrying up heavy boxes of cassettes from the UPS man because I lived in a four-story walk-up, uh -huh. you know. So there's Dave Edmonds and Mickey G sitting there bringing up something. He's like, come on down to the Ritz tonight and jam with us. Come on, you know, like that. And it was like a really... That hit me that it was having such an international impact. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's so killer. I, I, wow, I never realized it. I mean, it was so different. Yeah. It was so different then too. The technology was so different. Oh, well. sure. You know, so it was. It was. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really from scratch. It was like. Oh, you mean I don't have to stand online at the post office? I can actually buy postage and get a postage meter? <laughs> you know, I, I go every day to the post office and wait, you know, wait like an hour and a half 
for the guy to weigh, I'd, I'd go down with 50 packages, 100 packages, right. you know. Right. It was it was really, it was, you know, live and learn. Yeah. And then I had, then I got these high-speed duplicating machines mm-hmm. where you would duplicate both sides of the cassettes, mm-hmm. um, side A and side B at you know, lightning speed, two minutes, and that, like a 90-minute tape would be done, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it was just really, it started to turn into like a little bit of an assembly line there. <laughs> well, I know I had I had a set. They were great. Cool. They were, yeah, well, I, they, they were very real. You know? Yeah, for sure. Very real and very off the cuff. And, uh, you know, some of them were, were funny. And, you know, I, I, I really loved when I started uh, signing other people, you know, like uh, Jerry Jamat, who did a bass series for me, who was my bass player at that time, you know, the great rhythm and blues soul and blues everything bassist uh in fact we're doing an album together uh probably at the end of the summer we're doing a soul album but jerry you know jerry did the series i got john antwistle i got john jarvis who was the piano player with me on the mm-hmm. uh, garfunkel tour mm-hmm. uh, he, he toured with me in 78 uh and then you know other guitar players as well and um you know steve morse did a yep. couple for me. Yeah, I had those. Uh, he did three, I yep. believe. I had those. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, all these guys, you know, T. Lavitz, uh, yeah. the size of one from the Dixie Dregs, you know, a- Andy, yep. uh, what's his name? Andy the, West. The player. Yeah, Andy, Andy West. West, yeah. He did one. He did one. Tal Farlow, you know. <laughs> Tal, I turn on the tape recorder and Tal Farlow goes, Hi, everybody, this is Carolina Slim. And I said, Oh, this guy's too much, you know. So. <laughs> So fantastic. The, the beauty in the whole thing was all those years documenting all this wonderful uh, material with all these amazing people yeah. and players and to get inside of that thing. And, you know, it was exciting to me because I got to do it because they felt I was a peer of yeah, theirs. Absolutely. You know, I was like getting the respect from them that, you know, that I could, that they would definitely do something like that. Because it was a rare thing. People had not really done that before. No, yeah, you were you were really. I mean, not only was it entrepreneurial, but you were a pioneer of that of that whole idea of getting people to learn in a different way using this new technology or the technology that yeah. we had in, in our in our midst at that time. Yeah, yeah really. Taking, taking dream lessons with people you never thought you'd ever. Oh yeah. Study with. And now the but co- you have to realize that the audio the audio tapes were started earlier than me. That was started by Happy Trout. Oh yeah. Homespun. Yeah, homespun tape started. He started that in the mid seventies, I believe it was. And I even did a series for him on slide guitar after I had done my first slide, my first book mm-hmm. for music sales. Because mm-hmm. me and Happy were very close, and I was touring with them. I started touring with them when I was nineteen. You know, oh, wow. uh, they really gave me my start in the whole Woodstock scene and all of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, you know, he hadn't done video, and I started doing the audio tapes as well. His whole thing was much more of a, an acoustic folk kind of approach. Right. And I went more with the, the rock and rollers and the blues guys and the, the Nashville players and, the, you know, and, and other instruments as well, like keyboards and drums and yeah. things like that. So, you know, we, we coexisted, really. You know, it was kind of like the Beatles and the Stones or whatever, my, whatever, you know, correlation you could make to that. It was mm-hmm. like he had his side to it and I had my side 
and we never really interfered with each other's um, thing. In fact, we kind of helped each other. But once I went into video, then Happy made the jump into video as well. Hmm. So, so yeah. I, it's something I always wondered, and I never, I never been able to find this. Uh, who was it that you heard when you were younger, and you said, "Wow, I want to play guitar." Who who was it for you? Um. Well, for me, it's it. Well, there's stages of it because my father, famous uh, cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine, mm-hmm. Al Ross, R O S S. He was one of four brothers, all who became cartoonists. So they all had to have different pen names. They all couldn't be Roth. Uh, so my dad would listen. He's a painter also. And he was like deep into sort of a Picasso kind of period. Mm-hmm. This is in the Bronx in the apartment. And he used to play flamenco records all the time. And he'd start dancing and my mother would be, he's at it again, he's at it again. You know, <laughs> like that. You hear him clapping and dancing in the living room. And I started picking things up on the guitar off of listening to those records. Um, really raw flamenco records from, from like recorded on the streets of Spain, oh, you wow. know. And, but we would listen to Segovia, we would listen to Sabikis, Montoya, mm-hmm. Manitas de Plata. And so I started picking up things like that. And I also started playing slide because I would watch like Alvino Ray and people like that on television. And we had a guitar, but it only had two strings on it. It was my brother's from college. My brother's 10 years older than me. And so I started taking my mother's lipstick holder and I would just start playing slide on my lap, you know? <laughs> so, uh, after all that, then I did finally take, when I was 10, I took a few classical lessons downtown, and then my teacher actually kicked me out because I bought an electric guitar, you know? But uh, <laughs> I was already playing a lot even before the Beatles, like, hit. Well, of course, once the Beatles hit, that was it, you yeah. know? Like, I, I went right downtown, I bought myself a four pick up ideal Japanese electric guitar. Charlie Watts was in the store. I was the first kid in America ever to recognize Charlie Watts. I found this out later because I was talking about this on radio in England, on the BBC. Mm-hmm. And I was telling that story and the guy who was with Charlie called up and said, we remembered you, we thought you were this charming little boy. Charlie couldn't believe that anybody would recognize him. And I remember he signed his autograph, Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones, you know? <laughs> so that was the, the Stones were making their first New York appearance that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was on 48th Street. We were in a little shop on 48th Street called Ben's Music. But, the, you know, the people that had that first influence on me uh, were, you know, once the Beatles and the Stones and all that kind of took over, I started listening to everything, you know. I said, okay, well, the Stones are about Chuck Berry. So mm-hmm. I started listening to Chuck Berry a lot. And then B.B. King and Buddy Guy and uh, Otis Rush. And when when Mike Bloomfield came out, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. with Paul Butterfield and yeah. Bob Dylan, that stuff blew my mind. Mike Bloomfield became a really big hero of mine. And I think that if you listen to me, sometimes playing some of my souls, you can still hear some Bloomfield in there because Butterfield used to say that to me in Woodstock he said man he said when you walk on stage you are Michael and I'm like I never even saw Michael play but he says man you are you just are him you know reincarnate kind of thing so 
So I love Michael Bloomfield. I love Zal Yanofsky of The Spoonful, who mm. I'm actually paying tribute to now. I'm doing, starting to do an album with John Sebastian. Uh, I'm doing a tribute to his music and Eleven Spoonful, and a lot of it has a lot of Zally's great guitar parts. And um, Clarence White of The Birds, of course, influenced influenced me with the string bending style. Uh, I didn't know any better, so I started bending with my fingers, you know? Mm -hmm. And by the time I was 16, I was already playing pedal steel guitar. So I was the only pedal steel guitar player in, in New York. And I would start, you know, playing that and then transfer those ideas over to the guitar. So all those people had a big influence on me, you know, Sun House, the rock and stuff. And when I turned 14, I guess, 14 or 15, 14, because I graduated when I was 16, I went to the high school of music, the special school in New York for like creative kids. And, um, you know, I thought I could get in on music, but, and I wanted to, but my advisor missed it. said, oh, you can't get in. That's not an orchestra instrument. But to get in there on art, but it turned out that, yes, you could get in as a guitarist. So she had it all wrong. But just to go home and jam, like a lot of the kids that played guitar in school, we would, you know, get on the subway, and then we'd go, it's like, okay, whose house do we go to now? And we'll... Um, some records and we'll play a bunch of stuff you know we were learning rapidly you know we would bring our guitars to school too and stuff and there were jam sessions all the time and then that continued with, with me through college too but you know you you learn so much from each other at that time it was just incredible you know yeah that's I mean it's it's inc you were in such a fertile period too you know oh yes uh, there was the blues boom and there was also the vintage guitar boom at that time and the folk I mean my dad folk yeah folk I mean I was already listening to you know I would buy all the Joan Baez albums and all that stuff you know I mean I was and Dylan I was buying that stuff you know in 62 63 around then and of course we had a house full of flamenco records that uh, were very passionate guitar playing you know I mean mm -hmm. it's, it's some of the most difficult guitar playing on the planet mm -hmm. is that stuff and and the classical too I love Segovia I love Julian Bream yeah. he was another influence so you know it all comes together like a typical guitar player these days and that's why I knew Hot Licks was going to be a success they, they just want everything you know they want well I'm going to you know a classical guy says, I want to play heavy metal. A heavy metal guy says, I want to play country. Mm -hmm. And you know, or, and they all want to play blues. Mm -hmm. You know, So it all comes together that way. Yeah. So who was it for you with Slide, though? Because I heard you mention a lot of people, but not a Slide, a particular Slide. Well, yeah, no, Sunhouse. Okay. Uh, well, Sunhouse, Elmore James, yeah. and Robert Johnson. Okay. You know, Elmore James, especially in his electric style, you know, uh, with uh, Dust My Broom and yeah. Dust My Blues. It was always Dust My Something, you know. <laughs> Elmore James and the blue, the Broom Dusters were actually the name of his band, so he couldn't really get away from that. <laughs> but uh, but no, Elmore was just, you know, phenomenal. The sky is crying and, mm -hmm. and all that. And, and also my slide style has always been influenced by the 
the great harmonica playing of people like uh, Little Walter. Because yeah. after all, harmonica is open tuning, just like you use open tuning for slides. Right, you're bending so, notes. Yep, bending notes, and you have a chord. You pl- you're playing across a chord. Right. And uh, so you have an open tuning. Mike Bloomfield played some slides, you know, on those albums, like, you know, with Highway 61 yeah. and all that, which, of course, Johnny Winter later did a fabulous job with. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of, it was kind of like all around me, you know. But I remember when I was playing lap style with my mother's lipsticks, I think that came from, like, watching things like the Arthur Godfrey show or, you know, Ted Mack's Amateur Hour or whatever the heck was on yeah. TV at that time. It was very, Sullivan. very early television. You know, the mid-50s. Yeah, Sullivan, right? Yeah, and Sullivan and uh, Lawrence Welk. Yeah. You know, Lawrence Welk always had some very good musicians on that yeah. show. Oh, yeah, real good players. So I would see these guys sitting at this thing, the steel guitar, and I said, what, what is that? What is that? How is it that they're playing like that? You know. And mm-hmm. So uh, then I, I figured out that they were holding a little bar, and I would do that. So you know, it's just you make you know you just make it any way you can. You try to make those sounds. Yeah, for sure. Have you and and you know here's a here's a here's a guitar geek question for you. Was yeah. it was it a metal slide, a glass slide, of what, what kind of slide for you? Well, I, my favorite slides now are heavy brass. Okay. You know, I love brass. I love the sound of the brass on the metal. Not chrome, that's mm-hmm. too slick, and not glass because glass doesn't have enough sustain for me. Mm-hmm. But I love brass on on strings, you know, whether it be electric or acoustic. So it's warmer. Um, yeah, it's just more sustainy. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like you're 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 giving life, more life to it. But, you know, when I play like a lap steel, I'll use one of those Steven Steels, mm-hmm. you know, the type that you, you know, you can slant and tilt and your your finger goes over the top of yeah. it and all that. That's a whole different kind of thing. But, yeah, uh, yeah I like playing lap, lap steel a lot, yeah. for sure. Did you find it uh, a challenge to move from from regular guitar to lap steel? Was it hard to make Not that? Not at all. No. 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 I mean, I don't know why, but... I mean, when I wrote my my slide book, which is still in print and still a big seller, I was 19 when I wrote that book. And I remember saying to myself, how is it that you know all this stuff? You know what I mean? You're a kid from the Bronx who listened to a lot of records. Yeah. Who, you know, and I said, what did, well, of course, at that point, I really, I'd already been playing guitar for nine years. Mm-hmm. And since I had a few classical lessons, that gave me a great respect for the right hand the thumb and three fingers which is of course the way you have to play slide mm-hmm. so I actually I technically went from classical guitar to slide guitar and mm-hmm. that was I remember Ry Cooter talking to me about that was one of the things he detected in my style why they wanted me to do crossroads because they wanted slide playing but they also wanted uh, classical ability you know mm-hmm. and finger style and plus I had to I had to teach Ralph Macchio all that stuff but right. the, uh, the slide is very natural for me especially if you start with open E tuning E tuning very easily relates to uh, what you're used to playing in normal standard tuning mm-hmm. you know you still have E to E and then you can picture your E chord 
And of course, you hear the chords, even if you're the world's worst slide player and you can't dampen or 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 do anything, you're gonna you're going to get a chord. Mm-hmm. You're at least going to get a chord wherever you play. So, uh, and and box patterns and all that. It's, it's uh, I found uh, it was no trouble making the transition. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So when when. You know, you've you've played with so many people. You know, I mean, it's, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, Phoebe Snow, Pete Seeger, Sean Prine. That's yeah. just to name a few yeah. people. When when you move from one gig to another, is uh-huh. um, is it is are they giving you marching orders most of the time, or is it just like, hey, Arlen, you know, do your thing. Oh, we say marching orders, you mean like strictly tell me what to do? Yeah. Uh, well, that's usually a way of me then marching out the door. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because I say, uh, look, man, you, you said you wanted me for this gig because you loved my playing. Right. So don't tell me that now you want me to just go chink, 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 you right. know, every four bars uh, or every beat. I mean, I thought you wanted me for me. You know, but what happens really during that whole time, because I was so young, you know, I just, it's learning on the job, Mm -hmm. learning on the job. You know, it's like uh, John Prine didn't know what to say. I mean, John Prine, I wish I, I walk up to John Prine on stage and I'd go, your B string is flat, right? And in his ear, you know, behind his head. And he'd go. I don't even know what that means, Arlen. I have no idea. So, so if my B string's flat, please feel free to just sneak up behind me and tune it. So it used to become a shtick on stage. Like he'd start playing with, with so out of tune, you know. And I can tell anything that's out of tune, you know. If there's 12 students in the room, I'll go, you, your D string is flat, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. So... John Prime, I'm just, I'm, so I'm sharpening the B string. I'm, I'm flattening the G. You know, like I would do that behind him and everybody thought that was hysterical. So, but he didn't know what I was talking about. You know, he didn't even know whether his B string was really a B string. You know? <laughs> so, so, I mean, you, you, it was good to kind of like impart that knowledge into, you know, working live with different artists, you know, be like, okay, I've got a good ending. Like, I never had a problem coming up with a good ending to a song. Or, well, let's start with this beginning. This is be a cool beginning, you know. So, little arrangement things, because I'm always, was always thinking creatively, mm-hmm. you know. And I played a lot of years with the folk acts, like Happy and Artie Traum, Eric Anderson, who gave me huge amounts of space to perform. I mean, he would just let me go and go and go, just the two of us. So sitting on stage with two acoustic guitars, there was also a South African singer named Tony Bird, who I recorded with and toured a lot with. Marvelous African-style guitar player. Um, in fact, it was when he and I were performing live that Paul Simon saw us and he got the whole idea for the African thing, hmm. you know, uh, which I also played with those guys a lot too. But it's like... You know, you um, when you're so young and you're doing the right stuff and you have a sharp ear, you can really learn on the job in a way that's so emotional. I mean, the, the audiences, I would carry the audiences with me because I'm taking a solo on a song that I've never even soloed on before. Mm-hmm. So I'm flowing with the energy of, of, you know, this is now. 
you know, they're not hearing anything being repeated because this is fresh. And uh, if I repeat something, I get very uh, bored with myself right away. I always have to be doing something new uh, whenever I'm playing a song. So early on, at a very young age, that became a big thing to me, you know. And um, when you go in the studio then at that time in New York City, then people start saying, oh, we need you to play this for four minutes. Now for another four minutes, you're going to do that. Then you're going to do this. Then it starts becoming more rigid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was another whole learning process for me. That was a completely different uh, experience than performing live. Did you, you did know? you ever do jingles and stuff like that too? Or commercial? Uh, a few, but you know, I don't read. I never uh-huh. read music. So it's like, uh, I come in and do a jingle. That, Danny Gatton threw me a few jingles in New York because he'd be like I didn't even know who he was yet you know but people would say we were going to bring up Danny Gatton from D.C. to play on this Kentucky Fried Chicken thing but he said what do you need me for you're in New York you got Arlen Roth you know I'm like man this guy Danny Gatton seems like a really nice guy (laughs) and of course later on we became great friends but Uh he was throwing me work when I had only just heard his name uh you know, and and heard people talking about him, but I knew nothing about how he played or whatever. But you know, we, he and I both had a big mutual admiration society. You know, uh, we loved each other's playing. But yeah, I did. I would do jingles, and I would do you know sessions, and all of a sudden I'd find myself with the Dick Cavett Orchestra or something playing, backing up Liza Minnelli, and Liza Minnelli comes, you place steel guitar you play pedal steel she goes give me some hot licks at the top of this next song and I said aha and you know years later that's when I came up with the name hot licks my company because Liza told me that <laughs> that's cool and then the band's going like woo you know and the plane is like like you know they're kidding around like the, like Tonight Show style you know and I'm this young kid sitting there in a white suit with a pedal steel guitar, and everybody else in the orchestra was probably over 60, you know? Right. And, uh, and Liza's like, you play pedal steel? Like, she's like, stop the music, stop the music. You know, she came over and put her elbow on the edge of my pedal steel. It was so cool, you know? So I would do sessions like that. 74, I was with an opening act that opened up for the Bee Gees across Canada. And then the Bee Gees had me sit in on steel guitar with them. Uh, because steel guitar at that point was still such a novelty for anybody to see anybody playing steel guitar. I was playing mostly guitar, of course. Right. But I would play pedal steel as well. And so um, they, they would have me sit in with them, which was great. That's cool. That is so cool. Yeah. I, you know, I, there there's so much, you know, over the years I, I got to see you do. I saw you play... Oh, God. I, I want to say, do you remember a place in the village of old Rosalind, my father's place? Oh, of course. Yeah, I, 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 I sold out my father's place, but my album was hot. My second album, I sold out 1,200 tickets and the fastest they ever sold. And the the irony of this is that guy, uh, Epi. Epi Epperman. Yeah, Epi Epstein. That's right. Yeah. And he, he's booking me. I'm doing a gig out there in two weeks that he booked for me. I haven't heard from him in like 35 years. All of a sudden, he's booking gigs. Get out I'm of here. Really? I'm doing something out in Glen Cove at some restaurant. He's still Epstein. around? He's still around? He is. And he's doing, he calls it like, uh, 
Friends of My Father's Place Productions, something like that. Oh, my, my God, that's amazing. But I played there with everybody. I played there with Happy Naughty, Eric Anderson, Tony Bird, I think Phoebe Snow, I mean, on and then, of course, my band. When my second album hit, uh, there was a station out there called WLIR. That oh, yeah. the hell out of me. Oh, yeah, Dennis and, McNamara. And I, <laughs> yeah, Dennis, yeah, all those folks. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, boom, you know, like Long Island, all of a sudden, my father's place was packed. If you go to, uh, there's this, a website for like the Long Island yes. Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, the, the, the frontispiece of that is a poster of this is Arlen Roth at my father's place. That's oh, what it has. That's amazing. But that used to be a great place to play there in Roslyn. Oh, you know, it's crazy. It was an old bowling alley originally. Yes, it was. And then, and then it became. And I saw so many, so many people there that I mean, really, I cut my teeth in that room. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. And the crazy yeah, thing. So you're from Long Island. I'm originally from Long Island. I grew up in Levittown. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I remember seeing you there, and I remember just so many people. I mean, you'd go all the time because it was, you know, it wasn't a lot of money back then to go to a show, you know? No, absolutely not. It was great. Um, Just like today, there was no money to be made in music. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Now the tickets are $300 a piece, and you still don't make it. You still don't make it. No, but but, uh, but that was... um, it was very cool. And so, are you based in Long Island now? Or? No, I'm in Austin, Texas now. Oh, you're in Austin? Yep. Another place I should be moving to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. And speaking of Austin, you know, Cindy Cash Tower plays in my band. And yeah. She's in Austin for a long time. Yeah, I know. She's, she's living up there with you in upstate New York now, right? Well, yeah, she's up in Woodstock. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, we were very sad when she left because she, she was doing every Wednesday night at the Saxon Pub. Uh, with yeah. with Johnny Nicholas, and oh, okay. uh, and uh, it was you know it was just so great that you know you go plunk down five dollars and you can see Cindy Cash Dollar play you know. I know and and she played a lot with Red Volkert. Oh yeah, with Red, yeah. Red's, Red's on my new Telly Masters album. Oh no, kidding! Cindy even plays backup on a couple of songs. She plays back. She plays steel on Ghost Riders and also on. Um, Trying to think what other song I did. Oh, I did. Um, it's a steel guitar classic called "Remington Ride" with um, with Steve Warner. He was a great guitar player, huh. and so me and Steve Warner did it, and Cindy played. She actually played on her Remington steel guitar that Herb Remington built for her. And Herb Remington is now about ninety years old. He's one of the all-time great steel guitar players and western swing right. steel players and he uh, so he made that for her so it was a very appropriate that she played on that song that's super cool I yeah tell tell me more about this new record you got coming well it's been it's really a follow up to the slide <clears throat> guitar summit okay which was me with about nine great other slide players. Oh, yeah, folks. So, uh, Arnold, you got to let me read who was on this record. Check this out. Yeah, go right ahead. Check this out, people. On the Slide Guitar Summit record, which came out in 2015, Jack Pearson, I mean, right there, uh, Leroy, yeah. Par- Leroy Parnell, Cindy Cashdollar, Sonny Landreth, who was on episode 69 here at Guitar Radio Show, Johnny Winter, Jimmy Vivino, who I absolutely love and want to interview, um, 
Greg Martin, who was on episode 49, Rick Vito from episode 162, and <laughs> and David Lindley. I'll tell you, I swear to God, some, sometimes, Arlen, I feel like I'm collecting baseball cards. It's like, got them, got them, got them, need them. <laughs> That's right, right. That's what it's like. Well, with the, with the telly masters, and first of all, that slide sum album was mind-blowing. It's so good. I mean, it's so good. It was fabulous. And a lot of it was Nashville, but a lot of it was also up in New York. Uh, the one I did with Johnny, you know, that's the last thing Johnny Winter ever recorded. Wow. Was that track with me, that Rocket 88. Wow. You know? And uh, that was actually, Rocket 88 was on my very first album that I recorded in 76, and then I decided to redo it with him. Uh, and I sang on it <clears throat> this time. But Johnny, oh, that was, what a thrill. And I got to talk to him about seeing him in Woodstock. I saw him, you know, on stage at Woodstock and... Uh, all this different stuff and it was like you know we had such a ball you know playing and um, he had his firebird his trusty firebird you know and he was doing there were two documentaries being filmed on him in the same studio at the same time Mm -hmm. so all the cameramen are like bumping into each other because I was doing a documentary on the slide sonnet and somebody else was doing just a documentary (coughs) on Johnny Winter so Johnny Winter says, all right, now we're going to do, he was going to do Death Letter Blues, you know, Sun House song, yeah. which is in G tuning. Now, I think every slide player knows G tuning. And Johnny Winter, God bless him, he's got his national steel there. And he's in front of a piano and he's starting to tune the guitar up to a full G chord, like, like the high E was a G. Whoa. And I'm like, no, no, this is like, it's as if he's an E-tuning, but he's going to be on the third fret, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm going, I'm going, everybody stand back, move yeah. away, because yeah. the strings are going to explode any second. <laughs> he's like matching the notes from the piano. I said, that's not G-tuning. And then finally, I secretly kind of like snuck around after he took a break, and I retuned his guitar to the real G-tuning, huh. you know? And then he did Death Letter Blues just the way it's always done. But for some reason, at that particular moment, he was spacing out on what G-tuning was, huh. you know. And uh, and he had like a 1920s National Duolian, you know, which was like, you could almost watch the neck bend as he was tuning it, oh, you know. Lordy. But uh, that was such a wonderful experience. And yeah, Jimmy Vivino was amazing. He sang so good. He's got a and great voice. Oh, great voice. And Leroy's my old buddy because, you know, Leroy did a Hot Lakes video for me, yeah. as did Greg Martin. So I told them both, I said, listen, I want you, you know, on this album. Because uh, me and Leroy always said we were going to record someday, you know. So um, they're just the greatest guys in the world. Yeah. You, know? just, you, just, you couldn't have you put know, together fantastic. a better group of people. I mean, just some, yeah. of, the, some of the finest guitar players alone but sly guitar players holy cow and then Sonny who is I think from another planet I don't really think he yeah I don't think he's from here at all (laughs) no he's not he's he's, you know he did an album well you know he's also on that album I did with Lee Von Helm Uh touring around Woodstock right Uh, the only special guests on that album were besides Lee Von of course was Sonny and were Bill Kirchin and Kirchen's also on my new my new uh, telly album. Oh wow! But so I had Sonny on that, and then I had Sonny on uh, 
the Slide Summit, and I called the song Sunny Skies, like S-O-N-N-Y. Mm-hmm. And he comes, he goes, I am so honored, I'm so honored, thank you, I'm so honored. <laughs> and he showed up with Cindy that day, and Cindy did two tracks with me, and Sonny did one. Mm. And uh, the interesting thing about what I've done with Sonny on those two albums is, we're the only ones, we just do it, the two of us, no no drummer, no bass, no backup at all. Right. Just the two of us. And I love that textural thing of the two slides working off of each other, you know, the yeah. slide guitars. Yeah. And He's a great guy. It's such a great record. It's, you know, how long did it take to produce that record? Um, well, from beginning to end, I guess maybe about five months. Oh, wow. Six months. Yeah, the... the you know, it's great. You go into Nashville, you pull into a studio, you book as many people as you can, and then there's just this magic that happens where they walk through the door, hey, Arlen, how you doing? Everybody walked through holding a distortion box and uh, <laughs> and their guitar. Like, everybody, I said, gee, I gotta get one of those, you know? And, and, and literally, like, their hand would be, sh- their right hand would be shaking my hand, left hand was holding a distortion pedal. And uh, every person that walked in, and then I, uh, when I did the, the Telly album, same kind of thing. We had five days, and I cut 15 tracks, I believe it was. Wow. And I did, there were a few people who had to phone their parts in. You know, like uh, Albert Lee did it, I sent it out to him in California. Right. Even though he and I had recorded before also on Touring Around uh, in the early 90s. Um, so Albert how to do his part long distance uh red and um bill kirchin were both in austin so they did it did theirs in austin mm-hmm. uh, will ray did his in Asheville, uh north carolina or somewhere he did it but he he couldn't make it in that week and um and now i'm i'm vince gill did his track at home um, I'm still waiting on Brad Paisley's part on, the, on the track I did for him. Wow! Yeah, and uh, you know Johnny Highland was with me. And, oh, cool! Uh, Steve Warner, uh, Jack Pearson again, uh, Joe Bonamassa, uh-huh. and Joe Bonamassa does the most. It's like he he channeled Albert Collins, like even beyond Albert Collins. So <laughs> it was incredible, and um, Joe did a great job. He also had a phone in his part as well. Right. But we cut the track for him, you know, in Nashville. And I think I've got uh, 14 telly players on it. Wow. Steve Cropper. Oh, Steve Cropper. God. Not only did Steve Cropper play great, but he even sang. Really? So, yeah, he sang this cool song called White Lightning uh, that he wrote along with my producer, Tom Hambridge, uh, who's a fabulous drummer. And, you know, he produces Buddy Guy and everybody. He's just a, a major Grammy award-winning, uh, you know, producer. Mm-hmm. And he and I go way back to playing uh, up in Martha's Vineyard uh, years ago and, you know, up in Massachusetts. Because he used to be based in Boston a lot. So Tom Hambridge is great. And, I mean, there's just so many great players on this album. You know, Jerry Donahue, who Whoa. now we're really, we're really praying for him because he had a stroke. Yeah. a couple of months after the, the sessions and uh, I don't really know how well he's doing but I heard he's not doing too good mm. so uh, he's 
having a difficult time for sure. But we had a wonderful time. It was the first time we finally got to record together. Wow. And uh, like I said, Albert Lee, you know, Johnny Highland. Johnny Highland and I just said, well, let's do a tribute to Danny. And we just ripped into Funky Mama, you know, like a live seven-minute version of Funky Mama. Oh, my God. Know? And just tearing it up, you know, just... And I said to Vince, I said, you know, I said, Vince, you know, there's so many people on this album playing a million notes like you'd expect with a telly album. He says, I, want, I said, I want something soulful. And he says, Arn, if you want soulful, I'm your man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, good. And that, that'll be us together, you know. My, da my daughter, Lexi, sings a beautiful Tennessee waltz oh, on the album. And uh, God, it was just like... Five days that was like a blur. You know? So when are we gonna when are we gonna see this? When are we gonna get to hear it? Well, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting on the Brad Paisley cut. Okay. Which is supposed to happen this week. Great. Um and that's it. Then it's just a question of mixing it. We're already designing the cover. Uh -huh. Um it's really some of the uh, you know I unabashedly say this will probably end up being the greatest telecaster oriented album of all time because just because of how much it contains right uh, and it's dedicated to the memory of all the great telemasters of the past you mm -hmm. know Roy Buchanan Danny Gatton mm -hmm. uh, you know everybody every, Albert Collins mm -hmm. all the greats of the past because look the Telecaster is not that old you know <laughs> I mean it started in the late 40s so yeah <clears throat> you know so Jimmy Jimmy Bryant you know, people uh, like that. Yeah. Um, so, so we're we're dedicating it. We we are we're the new telemasters, and we're uh, dedicating it to the the, the previous telemasters. That's so it's so a, cool. It's got that sense of continuity, and also it's been filmed. A lot of it's been filmed oh, as a documentary, I, which I also deeply believe in. You know, so it's it was what an experience. That's great. You know, it's it's amazing to me. You know, you, you've been you've been a player for so long and you've done so much, but you're still such an ambassador for the guitar. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, I mean, I guess that's yeah. In the end, that's really all you can kind of be is, you know, you're an ambassador for the guitar, and at the same time, guitar is all I do. It's like that to me is, you know, bringing it all back home to what. Mm -hmm. was always numero uno for me, which is just playing and playing something new every time and mm -hmm. learning something every day. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you put me up against these guys, I got to play with these razor-sharp players. And, uh, oh, Brent Mason, he's also wanted to. Oh, Brent my Mason. God. Talk about a tough guy to play. <laughs> yeah, <with>. really. <laughs> but I had a song that I wrote years ago called Roadworthy, which I had done on an old album of mine called Lonely Street, which I don't know if anybody's even aware of that album, so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll bring it back with Brent Mason, because it's got some pretty fast-moving changes, you know? Right. And I thought it would be perfect for him. And uh, so, yeah, me and Brent, you know, worked on that together, and that was live. You know, most of the stuff was cut very, very live in the studio. That's great. Um, you know, Jack Pearson, again. You know, Pearson did two. And then he got in touch with Bonamassa. Bonamassa had done a tape for me, The Hot Licks, mm -hmm. when he was 21. Mm -hmm. But I had, we had not been in contact in a long time. So Jack had just jammed with him. 
And I, I think Bonamassa probably said, hey, you know, could you tell Arnold I'd like to be on this album? I said, sure, you know. So next thing you know, we had a track with Joe on it, and it's killer. It's just killer. That's great. And and uh, and working with Johnny Highland, pretty easy, right? Oh, Johnny, yeah, he's, he's the best. He's so sweet. Yeah. I mean, I signed him to Hot Licks when nobody knew who he was. Yeah, you know? and, and he's... Uh, He's he's another one of those freaks of nature. He can, you know, he can play anything, like you. Yeah, he can play anything. Yeah, he's. I think underneath it all, you know, they think he's a big country boy. I think he's a he's a, a, sh- a secret shredder underneath <laughs> it all. Because he has no trouble getting those heavy metal tones yeah. pretty quickly, you know. Yeah. But he's he's got great touch, great technique. Um, pleasure to play with him. Very intuitive, you know, and very instinctive in how he came up with the stuff. This is all in, on film, you know, like me and him trading off right. on Funky Mama. It's insane, you know, and and uh, it just makes me a better player to have to step up to the plate with guys like this yeah. and say, okay, not only are we peers, but we're also equals as far as being players are concerned. Right. You know? right. Uh, it makes me feel good. It, it's a tribute. You know, I feel like they're paying a little tribute to me, too, and I I really deeply appreciate that because, uh, you know, it makes me feel like, gee, that can get almost anybody in the studio who, you know, want to play with me. Cropper, for example, they're interviewing Cropper. He was the first person to record on the album. So Cropper goes, well, I, I, I wish I had some Arlen Ross stories, but I guess uh, he was busy while I was busy. And then I come in the room and I'm like, I got plenty of Steve Cropper story. He just doesn't remember anything. <laughs> but when I was playing with John Prine, he was producing John Prine. Oh. And he and I even went into the studio in L.A. Uh, with uh, Paul, the famous Paul Rothschild, who was a famous producer, you know, Janis Joplin mm-hmm. and all the people he produced. And we went in and cut this tune of mine, which was just like I was playing pedal steel licks on the guitar mm-hmm. you know it's a song called um, A Fool Like Me which I wrote back in the mid 70s and it was on my first album uh, but before that happened Copper said yeah man I dig that tune let's go in the studio and cut it you know and um, I remember I played through Leslie but he didn't even remember any of that <laughs> I said you don't remember you don't remember when we all went to Jose Feliciano's house and you were bowling and you roll the ball and you only clip one pin and I called you Cropper the Chopper. Don't you remember that? Because <laughs> that's called a chop, you know, when you chop them. And so I said, you were Cropper the Chopper. Everybody was Cropper. I, I remember all the stuff, but nobody else seems to remember anything. That's amazing. That's I have to do my memoirs because I have total recall. Yeah, have, have, you, have you thought about doing that? I mean... Yeah, of course. I mean, I've started it to a certain degree, but right now I'm on the cusp as to whether I... I can actually sit down and physically do it or just tell the stories like I love to and have somebody else yeah. take it down. I mean, yeah, they, they have they have uh, uh, great apps for the iPad that are dictation apps. You can just dictate yeah, it all in there. But I just, I'm much better when I tell it to someone yeah. because what happens is the color gets added, you know, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the little nuances of a story come out where you're trying to paint the picture Mm -hmm. to another human being Mm -hmm. you know I do love writing and I've written eight or nine books you know but 
uh, and I've always written all the columns and all this stuff, but I can never write as quickly as I can think it or come up with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm not sure which method I want to go with in terms of that, for sure, but well, I, I, I know you, I definitely want to do it. That's a book I'd want to have. Man, oh, yeah, oh God, the stories are just... Oh. Um, every time I have a story, it it gives birth to about 12 more that are offshoots yeah. of it. Yeah. And they're all pertinent because they all... It's it's a life as a musician, it's a life as a father, it's life as just a human being, yeah. you know, and like how to make head or tail of this world with nothing but a guitar in your hands and, and nobody to show you or tell you anything. Yeah. Just go out there and learn it, and before you know it, you're influencing people. You know, there's people all over the world saying that, I wouldn't be playing guitar if it wasn't for this, and I'm thinking... I'm just thinking, when's my next gig? You know, because <laughs> you know, I'm still like that, you know, yeah. like still still living it, you know. So it's a, but it's a good feeling to know I made a difference for a lot of people. I, of course, I had all those lessons on Gibson.com for about six years, mm-hmm. which are still there. It's like over a thousand lessons that I have on Gibson as well. And I was writing all those blogs for Gibson too. Right. Um, People didn't really know much about it until they found out I was doing it for Gibson, or if they happened to be on the Gibson site, you know. But uh, that was a very, also a very powerful thing for me, you know. I, I do. That was like they said to me. They said, "Just do like what you did with your guitar player columns, but just you know, or hot licks, but just you know, do them. Just do as many lessons as you can." And I just that was no problem for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll um, tell you, you were you've been a huge a huge influence on me, absolutely. Really? Well, thanks, great. Yeah. How um, long have you been playing? I've been playing since 1975. That's when I picked up the guitar. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and I'm still not yeah. any good. <laughs> oh come on! I'm no, sure you are. Well, do you ever do any playing on your own show? You ever play? Uh yeah. Like when, when I when I uh, when I have sponsors, I'll do the background music, you know, for that. And oh, uh, they. There you go. Yeah. That's good. Well, it's good because I'm getting paid too, so that's nice. <laughs> well, why not? It's your own vehicle. Absolutely. And I've done. I did. Yeah. I did a bunch of studio work in the uh, in the mid 2000s. I've done a couple of films. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So that's fun. I really enjoy doing that. And uh, and now yeah. you know. And me, I'm a big blues player. I love to play the blues. So that's what sure. it's all about. And I'm I'm in a great and, town to yeah. play the blues in. So. Yeah, no shortage of places to play there. No, that's for sure. That's <laughs> for Austin. sure. Yeah. I remember we did uh, the two Eric Johnson videos I did for Hot Licks. We did those both in Austin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, that was pretty cool. And uh, we did it at that stage, you know, where they do the Austin City Limits. Right, yeah, Studio 6B. That's still been one of my dreams is to do that show. Oh you man, know. you'd be great on that. Show. How cool! How to. cool would it be to do all of those telemasters on that stage? That's right. Yeah, oh. we should we should break it out up right there in Austin. Oh my we goodness, should. that would be amazing. And I could even have the Slide Summit guys play there, you know, with uh, Jack Pearson and, and Leroy, you know, and everybody, you know, come come to Austin, do it. Wow. Well, you know what? I I, find I, the right people to talk to. Yeah, that's for sure. I see Red Red Vokert all the time, and we chat. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. I bet you he knows somebody. We I gotta. I'll reach out to him. See if we can. Man, oh, that would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, he or maybe Cindy. Cindy's 
Cindy would too from being there so long. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I, I I would love an opportunity to play that show uh, for sure. And uh, again, it's all about the music. It's all about the camaraderie between the musicians. Yeah. It's really funny. Like, I, I don't live in Nashville. I always think maybe I should. But I go down there and I bring all these people together. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Like Leroy, I walk in the studio with Jack Pearson, and I'll be like, oh, man, we haven't seen each other in four years, five years. Well, the next thing you know, they're playing together. Uh, like, I, I put these people together, and then I leave. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm their own, like, you know, goodwill ambassador, like, you know, matchmaker. <laughs> and, and and then the next thing you know, they're, they're playing together, you know? That's so great. I, I, like, I like to kind of blow into town and make a stir, you know, like, 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 What's going on? Oh yeah, Arlen's making this album over, mm. you know, at that at Jack Clement's studio or or at Ronnie Millsap's studio, you know, you know, we just really cool, you know, and yeah. uh, those kind of, you know, I've always believed in doing the right gig and and at the right moment, doing the right thing in the right time. And these days, it's great because with the advent of something like YouTube, mm-hmm. you know play a gig for 50 people somewhere next thing you know 50,000 people get to see it yep. you know so you can really multiply your impact uh, with with sometimes the smallest of things um, so that's why I love having the uh, like documenting and filming as much as I can mm-hmm. all these sessions mm-hmm. you know it's really really critical and so yeah you know it's a uh, even in between the Slide Summit and the new Telecaster Summit, I like to call it, um, I did a ro- an all-acoustic Rolling Stones album. Oh, wow. Which has a tremendous amount of slide and a tremendous amount of, of 12 strings. It's just called Painted Black Acoustic Stones. Hmm. You know? uh, I was going to call it Squeaky Fingers, but <laughs> my daughter... My daughter Lexi said to me, said that, come on, Dad, don't do that. That's, I don't know if I like that, you know. But I thought it was actually kind of funny. But but it's a, it's a serious album. It's really good. I stayed very true to the form of the a lot of the early Stone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Brian Jones type parts mm-hmm. and uh, you know twelve string acoustic, you know tw- uh, slide and you know, National Steel, things like that. It, I'm very, very proud of how that album came out. That's great. Um, so that's like what I'm doing now with John Sebastian. We're doing these, I tend to do the big album projects and then in between, I like to do like a, a, an acoustic tribute, you know, like a tribute to John Sebastian, a tribute to the uh, uh, the, the Stones. And I did one for Dylan. I did one for Simon and Garfunkel, you know. Um, so... You know, that's just, a, it's a constant outlet. I'm always thinking of ideas, new ideas, of new things to create, because I really want to leave as much music behind as possible mm-hmm. for the whole world to have. You know, I really do. It's very important to me. So um, and that's I, why I do it. I think, I, think I think that's part of the reason you have this great memory and this mental acuity is because it's always going. That, that computer is always running for you. It is, yeah, and also sometimes there'll be things that, are, like, for example, how I started Hot Licks, you know, <clears throat> something that'll be brewing back there for years before it finally comes out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I was when I came up for the with the idea for Hot Licks, uh, it was 1973, and I was teaching like crazy, 
you know, I mean, I have like eight students in a row or something every day. It was really nutty. But I used to tell my students, I said, listen, you know, a lot of it is going one ear and out the other. And I'm, this is, you know, a lot of information. Bring a tape recorder, record my lessons, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had some students that literally have like 12 years of wow. lessons with me, wow. where they never missed a week, you know, uh, all on cassettes, you know, including me telling all the stories and stuff too, and probably saying some bad stuff about some people, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but one day a student of mine moved away, he went to Colorado, and he said, you know, Arlen, I really miss those lessons on tape. That's just the expression he used. I said, aha, lessons on tape. One day I'm going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. So when 1979 rolled around and we had the loft beneath the World Trade Center, two blocks from the World Trade Center, I had just done the Phoebe Snow tour and I was used to kind of like touring six months and being off six months, then touring six months and on and off like that. Mm-hmm. Well, there were no tours coming in at this particular point. And I said to Deborah, I said, you know, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but we only have $2,000 left to our names, and we're living in this loft, we gotta pay rent, we gotta do all this stuff. I'm gonna start that, that taped musical instruction thing I always wanted to do. So, I bought $2,000, that's a $1,500 half-page ad in Guitar Player mm-hmm. at that time, which announced 48 lessons, you know, fly guitar, rhythm and blues guitar, lead guitar, advanced lead guitar, <laughs> whatever, acoustic guitar, you know, it was like a whole series. Anything I could think of, I would throw in there, you know. And they were all six tape series, you know, six tapes in each series. So, um, and then I got five, a $500 used TAC tape recorder. And I just started, you know, banging out those lessons. You know, in the bedroom, I finished teaching. When I felt like my teaching chops were hot, because, you know, teachers have to have teaching chops, too. you got to be, like, oh, yeah. communicating well. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing all those tapes and cranking them out. And then, you know, that first month, we took in about $18,000 in coupons clipped from that guitar player ad. $18,000 in one month wow. from that $2,000 I had. Wow. And my wife was wife-to-be was teaching up in uh, the South Bronx in a really dangerous neighborhood. It was so dangerous, I used to take the subway with her just to make sure she would get delivered safely to the school, and then I'd go back, you know? Wow. And, and I said, wait, we got, we got five orders today. We got 10 orders today. We got 20 letters today. And then it was overflowing. The mailbox was overflowing, you know? And then, um, you know, all of a sudden, kids with Black Sabbath T-shirts were pressing my bell and running away. You know, it's like, and then I, I came home that time, and Dave Edmonds was there from England, and I said, <laughs> "This is really turning into a phenomenon." And uh, I said, "I think you're done with the teaching." You know, and she just adapted and she started running the business. You know, uh, with me and everything, and that was um, that was the beginning of it all. It was in '79. Well, I was um, I was one of those coupon cutters. <laughs> yeah, I recently found you know there's an old piece of furniture from our office that I took out, and there were these letters that were stuck in between the drawers and stuff, and I pulled them out, and there they were. There were people 
there were letters with you know the coupons clipped that's, in there that's amazing you know for people buying stuff like that and uh, it was a very exciting time it really was to create something seemingly out of nothing I mean of course it wasn't nothing because I knew that the guitar player magazine readers already knew who I was yeah even even in 79 I had already had articles on me already written articles for them so I figured you know um, this will be a good thing mm-hmm. and uh, you know the, the public responded it was the right thing that people like you you know needed at that time oh yeah absolutely and then and then we started and it's so funny too because at the time I did not know that that was your thing I knew that right. you, you know that was deliberate that was deliberate on my part. I had no idea. I, I thought some company, yeah. you know, I'd, right. I'd gotten you and Steve Morris and T. That was all part of my strategy. Yeah. It I, wasn't going to be like, Arlen Roth presents. Yeah. I said, no, no, no. The greatest compliment you can have is to be one of the guys. Right. You know, here's Arlen Roth, here's Tal Farlow, here's Steve Morris, here's whoever it was. Right, Andy Wilson. I was one of those guys. I mean, people would always say that. I didn't know this was your company. You know, that kind of thing. The artists. They were, I said, good. I don't want people to know it's my company. Yeah, I, I mean, I... To just be... Yeah. I, I didn't know until you just told me. I swear to God, I never knew. Really? I didn't. Oh, no, it wasn't... There was nobody... I mean, we started getting distributors. Yeah, know, yeah, in yeah. In the 80s and 90s, we started getting people all over the world, and I had Hal Leonard distributing me, but it was always uh, Arlen Roth's company. That's you know, great. And, uh, I was the one that track down these people, you know. Some of them took years. James Burton took years to get to sit in that chair. Buddy Guy took years, you know. Mm-hmm. And after that, when they realized how, how simple it was and how I helped get them through it, they, they had lost their fear of it. Because yeah. a lot of the players were afraid. They were afraid to sit down and kind of bear themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I tell you from from that and now with this telly record, which you got me super excited about. <laughs> I, I can't wait. It's amazing. Oh, the telly record! I'm telling you, it's not gonna it's not gonna disappoint anybody, and it covers the complete full spectrum. You know, hard rock, bl- unbelievably hard blues, country stuff, chicken picking. Oh, you know, jazz. Um, Western swing, you mm-hmm. know, anything that you can do, you know, a telecaster can do it all. You know, so you, you figure by August? Uh, yeah, I was hoping even earlier, but I'd say by by August, by, by the end of the, the summer, for sure. Okay. I'm just waiting on that one more overdub. Yeah, and, and, and that's uh, going to be some killer playing on there, man. Oh, yeah, and that's a song I wrote um, years ago called Bunky. And it's a nice, fast train time thing that um, uh, was once recorded on a previous album of mine, uh, but, you know, not with Brad Paisley. Yeah. So, uh, and it's just right up Paisley's alley, and uh, he's looking forward to doing it, and we've been talking a long time about it. You know, some of these guys are just incredibly busy. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, they're just, I mean, look at somebody like him. I mean, you can't get any busier than no, that. probably not. And... and <laughs> But what a, what a tribute it is and what a feeling it is to be able to get all these people together on a project oh. and uh, and all the good feelings. You know, there's not, not a single bad vibe in the bunch. Yeah. You know, everybody's just happy to do it. And I feel so honored. 
you know, just to, to sit there with Steve Cropper, sit there with, you know, Brent Mason, whoever it might be. You know, Brent Mason also goes back to the Hot Licks days because he yeah. did a video for me yeah. back then. And I remember I that. I guess it was, must have been around 94, I would mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, in Bonamassa as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, that I, I helped uh, cement uh, a lot of those relationships in those early days when yeah. I was signing these folks to do hot licks stuff. So yeah. uh, we always remained kind of friends. I always knew that I could kind of count on these people yeah. later on, you know. And that's a beautiful uh, so. thing. It really, I mean, that is such a beautiful thing that you can do that. It really is. It is coming full circle, and it's great for me to see them develop yeah. players. I mean, Johnny, Johnny Highland was really just a kid when he did his tapes for me. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, you know, he's a grown-up guy and he's playing even better. Oh, yeah. And um, he's just, you know, I mean, what what an absolute joy, you know, yeah. just really, really a joy. I mean, me and Jerry Donahue, we did this thing where we're both into like bending behind the nut. Mm-hmm. So we almost did almost every bend on the song was just behind the nut, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, his that was always his specialty and mine yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but just, oh man, I can't, I can't even describe it. I still get very excited about it. And I'm already on my next, I'm already, you know, with John Sebastian. Right. We were just rehearsing two days ago right. um, on that. And now I'm talking to Jerry Jamad about doing this project for me coming up in the fall on the, the uh, it's going to be called uh, the Super Soul Session. Cool. Soul Super Session, one of those. It's kind of a little bit of a reference to Super Session. Yeah, there, yeah. the Bloomfield Super thing, yeah. Soul Session. Yeah. You know, and we're going to play all that great King Curtis and BB King and yeah. uh, all that stuff that uh, you know that that he actually played on all those years ago. Uh, plus, he and I were in many bands together. We even toured together with Dwayne Eddy. Yeah. We toured with Dwayne Eddy opening up for Huey Lewis and the News. Holy cow. Which was so cool. And Huey was a great guy, too. Those guys were He's a great harp player. Band. Great harp player, great overall band. Yeah. Just great people, you know. Yeah. The show would be over, we'd go back to the hotel, and we'd all just be, uh, you know, singing, singing a cappella yeah. all night long. And it's crazy. He's still got the same band, pretty much. Yeah, they're great guys, man. Amazing band. Chris, that guitar player, you know, just just really, really sweet people. Mm. And uh, they were enjoying their success, but they were not really overly affected by it. No, know? they really kind of kept it in, in check. They really did. Yeah. They really did. Yeah. Great people. And one of the nicest guys in the business, for sure, is uh, Huey Lewis. No yeah. question about it. Well, Arlen, and the whole band. I got to tell you, Arlen, I think you're one of the nicest people in the business. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and and talk to my audience. Man, this has been nothing short of like a total fantasy come true for me. I got to tell you. Well, thank you. That's great. Uh, Really, I, you know, I just like to be able to keep it going. And I love when somebody like you is also entrepreneurial and has the the foresight and the, the, the vision to do something like this and have, you know, something on the radio that guitar players are going to tune into and, and, and listen to for this information. And they get the real stories from the real people. I mean, I yeah. love when you were talking about, you know, you talk about Sonny Landreth or this one, I would say, from episode 92, episode, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like you've got it all stored up. 
Yeah, you know, you know. Well, I mean, so you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, five years now. Wow. Yeah, five years, and and it's it's such a joy for me because I love this instrument. I love this instrument. I love what it can do, and I love what people can do with it because it's right. you know it's a singular voice. Everybody has a singular voice. You know, you you don't sound like Johnny Highland, and he doesn't sound no. like you. You guys are you. That, that was another thing. When I started Hot Licks, I said. I'm not worried about anybody sounding like me. Yeah. I said, they're going to learn from me. They're going to learn my licks. Right. Putting it all out there. Right. But I need to feed my family. Right. You know? And everybody sounds different the way they play. You know, that's just the way it is. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it's appreciated. The guitar is appreciated all around the world. It is. By every culture at this point. And um, I've played in a lot of those places and I have no trouble having a backup band in Finland or a backup band in Japan or, you know, wherever I might go or right. Australia, you know, um, it's a universal language and it's gotten to a point where it's now, you know, it's, it's, it's a life, it's got its own life to it. And that's what you're, you're capitalizing on is the fact that, yeah. you know, guitar takes on its own life and the lore, the lore of all these people and what they have to say and the stories they have to tell and and how they all developed and who they loved. Yep. It's just, it's a very important thing. You know, that, that documenting of all that, as I'm coming from a guy who had hot licks, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know the importance of documenting all yeah, that. Yeah, I think, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that I get to do this. I'm excited, obviously, yeah. that I get to t- talk to heroes, but, but at the same time, I feel like this is an opportunity for me to turn on to younger players, you know, about people like you, people, people like Sonny, people like, you know, Greg Martin, you know, that they, people that they might not, not know, you know, and it's so important to know. So, so players, the guys are the real players, the real players. Right. That's why we, maybe that's why they love to flock to me when I'm doing an album, because they figure, okay, this is safe refuge. We're really going to play the real thing today. And we're not going to be, uh, you know, auto tune, right. uh, whatever else. Absolutely, you know? it's a very changing world out there. But the guitar will always be consistent I think through so. it all. I think know? so. Yeah. Well, yeah, Arlen, absolutely. thank you so much for being on the show. I couldn't, I couldn't thank you enough. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, and uh, let me know anytime you want to do episode two. Uh, yeah, anytime you want, I'm there. <laughs> okay, Mark. <laughs> Thanks so much again. I'll get out to Austin one of these days and maybe we'll hang out. Absolutely. I'll I'll get you some barbecue. I know all the best places. Oh, fantastic. You already (laughs) got me. I wanted barbecue all day today. Now you got me thinking about it. Well, that's fabulous, man. All right. uh, I'll be in touch and then I will send you the links when they they become available. Please. It's great. Thank you, sir. Have a a great evening. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Bye. Check out Guitar Radio Show on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, Instagram, and Tumblr, and of course on GuitarRadioShow.com.